I'm Jared. And I'm Antasia. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then take a seat with an open mind and a full cup as we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Have an ice cold sip while we talk about black and white. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another freshly brewed episode of A Cup of Tea. I'm joined here this evening, my time, with my lovely, beautiful wife, Antasia. Hello, hello. And we're coming back to bring you guys an ice-cold sip of a topic that's very relevant to us, which is different backgrounds growing up and how that's kind of led to our blended or mixed family, as you would say, so black and white, you know, since you are a black woman, I'm a white man, and, and kind of, you know, how that dynamic has shaped not only our relationship, you know, what our perspectives were growing up, but how it's shaping our family going mm -hmm. into the future. What do you think about that? I think that that is a very good thing to talk about because like you said, people, you know, how people are brought up, your upbringing, that really changes how you see the world, how you navigate. It can play a part in how you parent, especially because you're most likely going to mirror what you received at home, whether mm -hmm. that's good or bad. And so with us being parents now, I think it's very relatable that we kind of sit down and talk about our differences and how we came up, our different family dynamics, and just kind of learn, you know, off one another. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think it, it's just interesting because some things we could say were in common, but then mm -hmm. a lot of things were different. And it's just interesting highlighting some of those differences. Um, I think it's, you know, very relatable, even for the audience, you know, for all you steeps out there, you know, while you might, most of you aren't going to fit into either one of our buckets, you have your own individual background, you have your own upbringing, it's mm -hmm. going to give you a unique perspective. And if you choose to have a romantic partner, or even a friendship, you're going to realize that there's inherent differences just based on growing up. And you know, how do you work with those differences? Mm -hmm. How do you find common ground? And you know, obviously, we've established common ground, but you know, we just want to take some time to kind of just talk about what that means for us. Yeah, and kind of highlight some of those differences we did have in our upbringings and our family dynamics. And a lot of them are actually really funny because there's just <laughs> things that we have learned about the other and the other's family. It can be the way a certain holiday is celebrated to even just how certain words and terms are used. And there's a lot of things that, you know, my husband will say that goes over my head and vice versa. And it's like, well, I've never heard that term in my entire life. What does that mean? Or why do you do things a certain way? So. Mm -hmm. We've gone over all that stuff, but it'll be nice to kind of enlighten you guys on it. And maybe you guys can also relate with your partners as to, oh yeah, they do say, you know, things differently than I do, or, you know, do things a little differently around this time of year. Have different rituals, celebrations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, those are all great things. And, you know, actually anyone listening to this episode right now, you know, hit us up on either podcastacot at gmail.com or our Twitter account, podcast, and let us know what some of those differences look like in your life you know what what have you noticed you do differently than say those around you or your partner or a friend mm -hmm. that's close to you but without further ado i did want to get into some of you know 
highlighting our differences and similarities. And, and the first thing I'll start with is probably the biggest divide, which is location. Location, location, location. Considering I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, mm -hmm. and you were born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. You end up moving here to Phoenix, but you had lived at the time your entire life yes. in a whole different city. Mm -hmm. And that inherently has some of its differences. Now, one thing I'll, I'll clear the air with is that there is one thing that is in common is that we both said soda growing up. So that didn't change. Yes, although where I'm from, being from St. Louis, Missouri, there it's right in the middle of that divide as to is whether it's soda or pop. Me growing up, it was always soda, but I did have family um, north of me and south of me who both said pop. So it was pretty interchangeable between the family. But it wasn't like, you know, being like hardcore South where it was Coke and then, you know, oh, yeah. a Sprite is a Coke. So no, it, for well, me, it's soda. Don't you remember when we went to Austin, Texas that one time and just it was so weird at the restaurant when it's like the, the waiter or waitress would ask, what kind of Coke do you what want? What kind of Coke do you want? I'm like, like uh, not Coke. <laughs> the red one? Is that like, <laughs> do you have more than that? That's a striking difference. It's really funny. I, it's a whole fascinating topic in its own linguistically, how there's different words mm -hmm. or different pronunciations for the same thing. Like even you and me both grew up with, you know, pecan, but there's some, or a mm -hmm. lot of people in the South that say pecan. Pecan or buggy and shopping cart. Mm -hmm. Buggy is like kind of down South where I'm from as well. Um, I believe we did say buggy. And I think when I moved here to Arizona, it was, it turned into shopping cart. Backpack and book bag is a big one. I've never heard of book bag. Um, <laughs> from pe people who live in the Midwest and maybe even the Midwesty North area might know what I'm talking about. But back home, it was book bag. So when I moved here in eighth grade and everyone's like, oh, my backpack. I'm like, okay, that's real. That's real formal. <laughs> I thought it was a book bag, but. Um, that, that's all I ever knew was backpack. But the, yeah, that quickly faded though after a few years of saying book bag and getting weird looks. Eventually you learn to say the right words. So it is now backpack. That's another funny thing, like how where you move to or where you live really shapes who you are. Like mm -hmm. even think about people who live in a different country, then say they go somewhere else to a different country and now not only are they learning the language or they're learning the dialect, like if someone moves from the UK to America, you know, over time, they're going to pick up more on mm -hmm. how we say things. And, you know, depending on how much you want to assimilate, you can either completely assimilate, partially assimilate. So, I mean, when you moved from St. Louis to here, and, and now that it's been many years mm -hmm. since that move, how do you feel like you've changed like do you feel like there's certain things that you still hold on to from your past or how much have you really assimilated to your new surroundings honestly it only really i only really clock the differences like if it just comes out so like if i say a word that you know i hadn't said in a long time or a word that you know still sounds kind of funny then that's kind of the back home still seeping in but i would say probably 99.99 percent of all of my terms and vernacular is pretty much Phoenix adapted. I can only think of very, very few things on one hand that I still kind of relate to from back home because so much time has passed. So not so much, I guess I remember everything, but mm -hmm. just in my everyday speech, it's pretty, you would probably think I was from Arizona my entire life. Right. Besides knowing where things are, because I still don't know where things are <laughs> after living here for so Even long. Even though everything's laid out finally on a grid sheet of paper, essentially. No. I'm like, is it next <laughs> to the Walgreens? If it's not, then 
I don't know what to tell you. It's honestly a whole nother topic how like I, like we navigate very differently. Like you navigate in terms of relationships. Yes. Like you look at, is this by this or is this by that? Whereas I navigate more based on the cardinal directions, north, west, east, south. Yeah, that doesn't work for me. So if I'm driving, I need to know if it's, am I turning left or right? Is it next to X or Y? What's the next street? Like I can't do, oh, the southeast corner of the, I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, it's so funny because like when we go place, I say, oh, babe, is this on the southwest corner of these two cross streets? And you just give me a weird look. And I'm like, never mind. I'm like, <laughs> can you ask me if it's on the left or the right side of the street? Because then I can tell you. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, it just shows how we work differently, but we still make it work. You know, we're still a team, even though we have these differences. Speaking of differences, I know you said you've assimilated mostly to Arizona and dialect, even though it's we, we don't really have a, a dialect here besides maybe saying O instead of zero. Yes. You know, like 602, 480, 202, 101. You know, if you live in Arizona, especially Phoenix, you know what those you mean. Know what those I don't mean. even have to say it. <laughs> um, I don't have to say the context behind it, but like, would you say that most of your vernacular that you say now or, or have that's different than my own is more cultural rather than based on the locality? I would say so, yes. Because you're, I mean, you know, where you come from and your upbringing also plays into your culture. It all, it all goes together. Um, but I would say, yeah, probably the biggest, you know, differences we have in, you know, language or terms or vernacular it's probably culturally, as being, again, coming from a black family, intermingling with a white family, there's a lot of cultural differences that we have learned over the years. And that's probably, that's pretty much the only differences though, um, which are fun. We love when we learn, like a new one comes up and it's like, oh, okay, didn't know that. Please, <laughs> please elaborate on that. What does that mean? And it's like, it's part of just, when you're in an interracial relationship, these things come up all the time. You're, I feel like you're <laughs> constantly learning because it's like, you know, you can't just explain everything about mm -hmm. your past or your culture. It's almost like, you know, when you become friends with, you know, a group of people and they've already been friends for many years mm -hmm. and they have all these inside jokes and it takes you years and years to figure out all these inside jokes. And then there's still some that pop up from, oh my God, that was from like 10, 15 years ago. It's like, well, I wasn't in the friend group 10 yeah, or 15 years ago. Can you explain ago. to me what was so funny? Cause I'd love to know. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, and, and that's something we could start to go into next is mm -hmm. more our cultural backgrounds. You know, again, I'm not going to touch too much on how the location of being here in Phoenix has shaped me because, like I said, besides saying O instead of zero um, <laughs> and knowing how to navigate around a grid and saying backpack and soda, like, you know, there's not really a lot of no. things that set us apart. Like, we're kind of pretty neutral on a lot of fronts, you know? And being able to pronounce Sawaro and Gila That properly. is true. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, that actually brings up a good point. I, I can definitely, you know, let me touch on that real quick. <laughs> People who grow up in Phoenix, like myself, you know, we've never had a problem with Spanglish in, in the <laughs> sense that we pronounce words that have been brought into the English language just for, you know, names of places. And we know how to pronounce it correctly based on, you know, as you said, Gila, Saguaro, these are words that have letters that you you wouldn't pronounce it that way in English, but mm -hmm. you you pronounce it that way in Spanish. But we just know, like, that's how we've always been taught how to say these words. But then people who are from different cities, different countries, you know, 
you know, if they if they don't have a Spanish background, they come to Phoenix and they say Gila and they say Saguaro and I, I you know, <laughs> any native Phoenician will just kind of roll their eyes and be like, yeah. they, they're not from here. Like Clearly you're not from here. Not from here. Or I'm trying to think of any other good examples, but those are two mm-hmm. predominant uh, examples or, you know, Tucson instead of Tucson. Mm-hmm. You know, some people don't even say Phoenix properly, which really baffles me. Um, you know, like Phoenix or something like that. And it's like, come on, guys. Like, you know, it's it's not that hard. There's a lot of Spanish words in our upbringing here in Phoenix that, you know, we, we're just used to pronouncing it the right way. That is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think, you know, to stem from that, you know, we can kind of go into some of, you know, our backgrounds and... I, I guess, I don't know if, if you want to go first or if you want me to go first. Uh, I can go first. So as previously stated, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And I had lived also in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for a short period of time on and off, uh, but predominantly St. Louis. Uh, I moved here to Phoenix when I was in eighth grade. So. Like I said, kind of brought over a lot of things with me, including the quote unquote St. Louis accent, if you will. (laughs) People who are from St. Louis know exactly what I mean. That's pretty much when any word that ends in A-I-R or E-R-E, it -hmm. all just kind of sounds like E-R-R-R-R-R. I'm not going to do a, um, (laughs) what's the word? Example? I'm not going to give an example, but you know what I mean. And um, again, words like book bag and just all types of things like that. Uh, you contrast that with a native Phoenician like myself. We don't have an accent. Like literally, <laughs> no. we go to different parts of the United States and we blend in really well because we just have a neutral accent, neutral American accent. The it could best also way stand out it. because if you're in the middle of like New Jersey or they're Boston, like, Boston, they're gonna be like, where are you from? It's like, can I see my car keys or like, what and it's like my my kia keys and like okay here you go oh gotcha all right yeah <laughs> but um no like i have you know i'm the oldest i there's three younger sisters and you know two parents so a big family and when we moved here it was just night and day like i said i'm from a flat plains area some hills no mountains lots of water um it's all four seasons, you know, on the regular, just your basic average middle of the country place. Coming here where there's, you know, no water, it's pretty much three colors, brown, brown, <laughs> and some brown, a little bit of green. The houses are all cookie cutter. The houses all look the same, but you know what? That's nice, that's fine. Um, there's some uniformity. It's sunny 90% of the year. It's hot for eight months. And that's so- That's not an understatement. It's not. So it's just very different. And, you know, I coming from a place where that's predominantly black, you know, then you have some whites and you have some, you know, Asians mixed in there, but that's kind of where the trickle down kind of stops. You don't really have a ton of Hispanics. And I'm lumping Hispanics all into one group just for the sake, as in, you know, including Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, your other Central American countries. And so, when I moved to Arizona, I legitimately saw my first, you know, Hispanic group of people at 12 years old. And I was just astonished because I don't know, for some reason, you know, you just, you don't, 
to really read books or anything mm -hmm. about them predominantly. And I hadn't, I had never even heard of Cesar Chavez until I moved here. And so I seeing a cactus for the first time and like, mm -hmm. you know, a tarantula, just things that you, you know, you read in books that exacerbates the desert stereotype. Like I legitimately mm -hmm. thought that we were moving in the middle of the desert in like <laughs> a shack. Like they don't show you that there's like, you know, flourishing neighborhoods and things about Arizona. You just see like one lone saguaro and some tumbleweeds and like, okay, this is what, you know, Arizona is. There's a lot of misconceptions a outside lot. of Arizona about what Arizona is. Like it, it's really geographically diverse, mm -hmm. like actually, Sure, technically a majority of Arizona is a desert, but it's, you know, even within the desert, there's diversity of life and I mean, it snows cities here. and towns. For people who don't know that, it snows mm -hmm. here, not down in Phoenix, but if you just go two hours north, it'll snow like you're in Denver, Colorado. You like could you, see snow from Phoenix at times. You can, from the mountain peaks here, you can see snow. So I was mm -hmm. like shook, for lack of better words, that it snowed here and it was green in certain places. And then again, you know, I just pretty much had my family and as I started to make friends and kind of branch off and, you know, become an adult, now I have my husband, who like we said, is a white male. And so when we just sit down and have conversations or when we were getting to know each other and our families and just kind of, you know, talking about just how our families work, and we just noticed that there was a lot of differences and a lot of like, what? Never done that. Oh, what? What does that mean? Like, I think our biggest one that we still talk about to this day is how our different families celebrate Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I think it was like our first Thanksgiving together, you know, just kind of going over the menu and we were gonna split the households and I was giving him the menu rundown for my mom and um, I was like, oh, you know, you have to have her mac and cheese. It's the best, it tastes so good. And my husband was so confused. He's like, macaroni and cheese? <laughs> I'm like, yes, the yellow stuff with cheese <laughs> that comes out of the oven. I'm like, you've never had that before? He's like, at Thanksgiving? I'm like, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving. I'm like, please tell me you've had it. And he's like, no, never. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, you're coming to dinner because you gotta have some. And I was just shocked that I'm like, this would be the just the beginning of the multiple differences that, you know, we just have as individuals and individuals in different types of families. Yeah, I was, I was shocked. That was, um, that was something I never heard of for Thanksgiving was macaroni and cheese. And, and same thing with you with stuffing. You know, my family would talk oh, about stuffing and you're like, we call that dressing. <laughs> and it's like, we don't we don't deal with the packaged box stuff called stuffing. And, and you know, that was a staple of my uh, my household. It was yeah. all stuffing. All Even my... though I wasn't the biggest fan, <laughs> it was served at every Thanksgiving dinner along with, you know, green beans, mashed potatoes, which is still my favorite staple, mashed potatoes and gravy cranberry sauce and turkey and you know your family you know green bean casserole mac and cheese mac and cheese sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes. dressing like i said all of the black listeners black steeps you guys know <laughs> the dressing versus stuffing argument to us stuffing is the white stuff inside of a teddy bear we don't do <laughs> box stofers like no you get the jiffy cornbread out you break that mm -hmm. bad boy up that is your dressing. Which the thing I have to say now though, is now that, you know, we've been together for five years and even just five years in now, I could say my ideal Thanksgiving dinner literally takes bits and pieces from the white and black Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like I think the biggest thing that my family brings to the table is the mashed potatoes and gravy. Mm -hmm. That's not really a staple at, at least not, I'm not gonna speak for all black families, but at least mine and my and remote 
black people that we know and we've gone to eat at their homes, mashed potatoes isn't really one of those staples. Usually it's the mac and cheese that's mm-hmm. the one and then you get your gravy with the ham or turkey or whatever. Yeah, but on my side, I mean, the mac and cheese is now a staple of mine. And mm-hmm. then I think the thing that's in common is, you know, the green bean casserole, mm-hmm. cranberry sauce. My favorite like dish, we, green we, bean casserole. We both... Both families had that, and we mm-hmm. both love it. Yeah, and the jelly cranberry sauce, not the fresh stuff. No, That's also an no, argument. No, 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 I love no, no, me no. some cranberries, but that fresh stuff, no. I like the jelly jiggly out of a can. We all know the noise that it makes when it comes out the can. That's <laughs> it's, what you It's want. a gross sound, but it's delicious. So here, here's my thing. If it doesn't come out of a can, I don't want it. <laughs> I really don't In want it. In terms of cranberry sauce, yeah. Yeah, only with cranberry. That, that's like one of the only <laughs> things I will say that about is with cranberry sauce yes. for Thanksgiving specifically specifically but but that's just one of the many ones i think oh there's so many there's one this is a a specific st louis thing so here in arizona in most in most places (laughs) i know where you're going with this (laughs) in most in most places if you want you know some chinese takeout you call up your local you know chinese place quote unquote like hey where's the local chinese place i want some fried rice whatever the case may be but for my st louis listeners you know where i'm going with this back home it is called the Chinaman. So C-H-I-N-A-M-E-N. Chinaman. One word. That's just what it's called. I didn't come up with it. That's what I was raised with. And so back home specifically, like I'll use it in a sentence. I'm like, hey, mom, can we get some Chinaman for dinner? The one that's up the road. Okay, sure. What do you want? Oh, the fried rice X, Y, Z. That's just what it was called. And so when I came, you know, when I brought it up to my husband for the first time, just, you know, in a sentence like, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah some good, you know, Chinamen around here. Or like, oh, you know, you guys don't have like a good Chinamen place. And he was just so confused <laughs> as to why I would say that about someone. But I'm I, like, I was like, <laughs> what is, what does that mean? Like, I'm like really confused. Like, you know, we don't, he, like here in, in Phoenix, we have an abundance of great Mexican food in my personal opinion. But we don't sit here and call these restaurants Mexican men. <laughs> like, it's just like, for me, I'm just like, what? Like, I was just so befuddled, for lack of better words. I just didn't understand it. And trying to explain, and when you put it in the context, because, like, Mexican men, yes, that sounds terrible. Even though I've explained, you know, I'm not singling out any (laughs) of our great, you know, Chinese counterparts. It's just called Chinamen, as in, you know, kind of like Chinatown, but just a Chinamen. Again, don't ask me, didn't come up with it. Um, But for anyone who's from St. Louis, if you tell them, you know, hey, where's a good Chinaman at? They can list you quite a few. So that is another one that we just constantly laugh at. And that's probably one of the only words that I will still slip up time to time and say, because that one is just so ingrained in my memory. But usually in a conscious effort, I try to say, you know, Chinese place. Well, I do appreciate the attempt (laughs) to assimilate there. But again, I can't, you know, I have to respect cultural backgrounds. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure if I had moved, from Phoenix to another city where there's different words for different things, you know, I would, I would also try my best to assimilate to the culture there because mm-hmm. that's just what you do. But if if you have a past upbringing of saying something, you know, I, I completely understand that, and it's not hurting anybody. No. Um, so it's it's just a, a way that you, in your past and even still to this day at times, refer to that kind mm-hmm. of a place and. We touched on a lot this episode, but there's a lot of different words to describe the same things. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I think one other difference is that, you know, you grew up in a city where you called freeways highways. To me, freeways Mm -hmm. have always been freeways. Like, you know, I've never really heard of highway being a commonplace term 
until just a couple years ago, I drove out to Texas mm -hmm. for like 16 hours. Then when we got into Austin, everything was a highway and there were literally streetlights, traffic signals on the middle of the highway. Yeah. And I was like, what, what? <laughs> I'm, I, I like, I just, it, it blew my mind. I'm like, I'm used to freeways going below grade, above grade, no traffic signals, no stops. It's a freeway, you cruise. And that's it. But it, it's just so different. Even just my little bit of exposure being in the Midwest. It's such a different look. Yeah, they're called highways. And I didn't drive. I wasn't a driver at the time when I lived in St. Louis. But yeah, they were highways. It's like, oh, you know, the highway this, the highway 240. My St. Louis people know what that is. You know, it's it's just a highway. So when I moved out here, it's like, oh, freeway. I'm like, okay, freeway. And even now, I still, if I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know. We went up the 101, this doesn't matter. I'm on the highway, like if I call my husband and I'll have to quickly switch to freeway. Mm -hmm. So that's one I still kind of use interchangeably, but I mean, that's just, I don't know, freeway, highway. I don't even think there's an actual difference besides just where you're from um, and how right. you say it. I think for, for here in like Phoenix, highway is more reserved for like that rural freeway. Mm. Like if it's like a smaller road, like that goes off more in the wilderness, that's usually more of a highway, at least from me growing up. Whereas freeway is for anything that takes you high capacity between cities or through cities. Mm. That's is more B-Line, is, is that B-Line Highway? B-Line is okay. a highway, so yeah. B-Line, okay. Hunt Highway, B-Line Highway. Okay. So the smaller so, roads are highways, the bigger highways are freeways. So it's like the same term for different things, but you see in, in St. Louis or a lot of parts of mm. the country, even Austin, Highway describes even high capacity, but yeah. freeway is a differentiator here. And there's there's a whole thing I looked at of different linguistic terms throughout the United States. Like for instance, here in Phoenix, you know, we say kitty corner. You know, if it's yes. adjacent to something, we say it's kitty corner too. Some people say caddy, caddy corner, corner in different parts <laughs> of the country. Some people don't say either, and they say a, probably a different phrase mm -hmm. or, or verbiage. And it's very interesting. It is. It's it's just interesting. Just you know where you're from can really influence how you speak and it's also a big indicator you can someone can tell generally where you're from based on how you say things like, like even you know east coast especially between like philly new york new jersey mm -hmm. between water and water that's right i probably <laughs> didn't do it right but that's you know that's a big one that i hear so that you can generally attempt. you can generally tell someone is on the east coast especially from philly with the whole water but no and then just kind of going back into just our you know things that we say just from a you know black and white perspective I think, uh, I'm just trying to think of some off the top of my head. Well, mm. I know my family, you know, we grew up saying clicker for the remote. Oh my God, I hate that. <laughs> and, your, and your family says remote. You've got me saying remote now, but I grew up with clicker. It's remote now that I'm older, but uh, especially, you know, my black people who have like the, you know, Southern grandmas, like it's remote control and it's one word, like hand me the remote control, one word. Like mm -hmm. my people know what that means. But yeah, remote versus clicker, I would say in a black family, the word cousins can mean a lot of different things. I a lot of different things. I even have some of these quote unquote cousins where they're not actually your mm -hmm. blood relatives, but they're friends that you like your parents like your parents have friends and those kids are your quote unquote cousins. So, or aunts or aunties. Yeah, so yeah, or aunts and aunties, which there's a difference between an aunt and an auntie. So in at least black culture, like your auntie or your TT is like your most favorite aunt ever. Like usually that's like your TT. And then you have like, you know, your aunt, you know, Aunt Shirley and this, but then, you know, Aunt Shirley could be anybody. She could be the lady at church that gives you candy. <laughs> that could be your mom's actual right. sister, your mom's best friend. Like just, I have a lot of aunts like that. So between aunt, auntie and TT, 
yeah, and contrast that with white culture where literally your aunt and uncles, your aunts <laughs> and uncles are literally just like blood relatives. Like they are, n like never do you hear that being referred to as a friend, being an aunt or an uncle. Like that, that's just not a commonplace thing, at least for me growing up in a white household. And, and you know, cousins, again, blood relatives. You know, we, I, I think, you know, in, in black culture, it seems to be more centered more around there, there's there's and, camaraderie mm -hmm. there's an extension of the family with close friends white culture just doesn't seem to do that it's like you know we we say friends and acquaintances mm -hmm. and then best friends and then we have all our names for our family but we don't like there's no mixing of the terms no, between friends and not family. over here because when you go to that cookout and <laughs> you see this lady oh hey baby how you been i haven't seen you so long and you're like who is this and your mom's like oh that's your aunt Aunt Rachel, I'm like, who? Like, oh, Aunt Rachel, she's been my friend since high school. I'm like, oh, okay, Aunt Rachel, hey girl. Like, you just, everyone's your aunt, your cousin, your uncle. Oh, go pass this beer to your uncle over there. I'm like, who? Okay, here you go. Like, that's just terms we use very loosely. And again, especially cousins, like, hey cousin, like I haven't seen you in so long. And they're literally not your cousin. It's like your mom's best friend from high school you know, his neighbor's kids. Like it just, you know, everyone's aunt, uncle, cousin. So yeah, like I said, it's just that sense of camaraderie and like, you know, we're all family here in one way or the other. That's how we use the term so right. loosely, so. Well, I gotta be honest, even for someone like me who grew up in a white household, like I love that about black culture. I love the camaraderie. Like I, I've kind of adopted it somewhat myself in the mm -hmm. sense that now with our daughter, Aubrey, you know, we refer to our own friends as aunts and uncles mm -hmm. for Aubrey. And it's like, you know, that's something really special. Like, I think it, it's a it's a title of significance for somebody that's really close to you that it, for all intents and purposes might as well be blood related because mm -hmm. you're just so close to them. Yeah, and, and you don't really have any like brothers that. for her to to be here and i don't have any brothers for that to be her true uncles but in a sense of like you said you know mm -hmm. friendships for so long like yeah this is your uncle these are your aunts i have sisters so she does have aunts but also my you know my best friends my girlfriends are her aunts as well and so just being able to you know mix mix that into her culture because again being parents now to a mixed black and white child now we're really fusing mm -hmm. both of our upbringings together to find what's how we're gonna work this together with this new child. And so far it's been going well. Very well. It's been great. And I think it's awesome that she has two totally different cultural influences from you know her white side of the family and her black side of the family. And she gets to be on both sides of that regularly um, with both of our families living here with us. And you know, so she just gets to go back and forth and really get an essence of who she is on both sides. Because for some families with, that have mixed children, that's not always the case. They mm -hmm. generally can, grow up on one side or the other. So either they're with the white side all the time or they're with the black side. And then you don't really, you kind of have this identity crisis later in life because you can't assimilate with the either side. And so you just really feel with the other side. So you feel really out of place. So I'm glad that our daughter really gets to really deep dive into both those cultures and we get to teach her where she's from, from, you know, both sides. Absolutely. And you know what, I, I gotta say this, I think it really shows how strong our relationship is and how equal we treat one another mm -hmm. because we have equal respect for our cultures mm -hmm. and that's why we raise our daughter who is mixed half black half white with that in mind mm -hmm. like we like you said we we keep both cultures involved and one doesn't dominate the other because 
you know, one of us doesn't dominate this relationship or family. No. Like we are equal partners mm -hmm. and we've always viewed ourselves that even before we had a daughter, you know, we, we said that we wanted to establish a family where we were equal partners and that, you know, we were going to give her perspective on, you know, where she came from and what her background is on both sides. Cause mm -hmm. she has a right to know, you know, not just from an ancestral perspective but you know from a historical perspective cultural mm -hmm. there's a lot of things involved there and you know even when it comes to like pop culture music there's mm -hmm. been a lot of differences with us growing up because you know i grew up on classic rock alternative pop and then maybe a, a sprinkle of hip-hop in there <laughs> maybe a sprinkle of rap but you know just like the big hits you know mm. um but you know with with my dad especially being someone really into like classic rock and less alternative and less pop you know a lot of classic rock you know i grew up with that and i, I know a vast catalog of music that you know is considered old nowadays and not even a lot of my friends can relate to that but you know from your perspective you grew up with a whole different music library so i feel like we actually picked up on some music from one another yes and we've each grown our libraries mm -hmm. and you know i'm excited for our daughter and and you know and a future kid possibly because they're going to have a very eclectic taste in music they tv will. shows movies culture and it's exciting it is exciting and yeah aubrey gets to listen to listens to a lot of different music because you know we're in the car we we jam we have a good time and so she will have that vast music library and you know it's gonna be a part of who she is I mean, right now, you know, she really likes Queen, actually. Uh, she does not like Journey. She does not like Journey, so <laughs> sorry, reason. Journey. You're going to have to take that up with her. But She um, likes Khalid. She loves Khalid. She likes Cardi B, but only the clean stuff, and very rarely do we listen to that. She loves Doja Cat. Um, Love me some Doja Cat. And so, you know, she just going to be a gal of many tastes, if you will. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's... A beautiful thing like i said in our relationship in our family dynamic is that we have never shunned one culture one aspect of the culture mm -mm. Uh, for either one of us you know you you give me a hard time because i grew up saying clicker i give you a hard time because you grew up saying chinaman but <laughs> that doesn't mean that we want to suppress that completely mm -hmm. you know we voluntarily make the choice if we want to abandon said term or adopt a new term mm -hmm. and same thing goes with our pop culture you know we have it, there's parts of pop culture for one, you know, for each of us that we've accepted from the other person, but we don't feel obligated to accept all of it. Like there's music you listen to. I'm like, eh, you know, I could listen to mm -hmm. it, but I'm not really the biggest fan. And same thing with my music. Yep. And, and, you know, we, we still let each other listen to it, of course, and we could be around it, but it's not like, you know, just because I'm a big fan of Dallin Parsons project doesn't mean that you have to be too, or mm -hmm. because you're a big fan of Drake doesn't mean I have to be the biggest fan of Drake either. Mm -hmm. You know, it it doesn't mean I hate his music. No, you know, it, I, I it like Drake, fine. but yeah. it's just like he's not one of my favorite artists. And that's you know, you know the differences, you know, make us even closer. And I, I'm fine with that. Although, side note, up until like literally maybe a year and a half ago, he didn't know who R. Kelly was. I did not. Um, <laughs> that's another big cultural groundbreaking. I, I literally, <laughs> I must have been living under a white rock because I literally did not know who this man was. The biggest white rock because <laughs> I was, and again, black people, we've currently disowned R. Kelly, but go back, you know, before the documentary and stuff, you know, black R. Kelly was a huge staple in the black household, whether you were getting up in the morning, cleaning to his music. My parents got married off one of his songs. Step in the name of love got played at every wedding. And so I was just shocked when he didn't know who that was. But again, that just really showed like, wow, we really 
grew up differently. And, you know, black families and white families and other families, you know, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, they all grew up very differently. So it was just a, was a good eye opener. Like we are all very different in the same ways that we are alike, just as, you know, a species, but it's just the beautiful mosh pit of things is just what makes us just, you know, beautiful creatures in the whole sense. Yeah, and I mean, look at look at the other finer details of our lives that we came together on. When we moved in together for the first time, you had never heard of drywall hooks. When, when no. my family, my dad specifically, <laughs> had been using sturdy drywall hooks to hang heavier items basically our whole time growing up. And I picked up on that and, you know, leveling and like all that stuff. And, you know, I feel like in the black household, it's like, just find the big thumbtack I'm like, and you just better stick it up hang there. that bad boy with a thumbtack <laughs> and just center it. It'll be fine. It's not like you climb on the walls every day, so it'll be fine. But but then on the flip side, you helped me adopt the thumbtack model for smaller, lighter objects yeah, that don't, don't require have to drill into the drywall. drilling into the drywall. So, <laughs> so it's, you know. It's kind of like a marrying, like I think a lot of times when we made decisions as a family or as a couple, we've kind of taken the best of both worlds approach. Like mm -hmm. we've we've contrasted things that we've grown up with in our own cultures and we're like, okay, what's the best fit here? Exactly. And it isn't always one way or another. Um, you know, like even me growing up in a white household, we rarely used the fan on the microwave or the light <laughs> or even the light on the oven. Like we literally would just turn the stove on that was it. And then we turned the stove off. But, you know, you have kind of instilled this, you know, well, we don't necessarily have to, like, leave the microwave light on, which is a staple in a black house. It is. When that we microwave light comes on, when your mom cleans that kitchen and that microwave light comes on, that means the kitchen is closed. You did not come eat in time. Do not come make more food in her kitchen because she will tell you to get out. So that's so when that under light comes on the microwave, we know what that means. That means kitchen's closed. Even at seven o'clock, if she cleaned up and you didn't get a chance to eat, you better go get something because it's closed. I mean, we kind of use that model. We don't use the microwave light specifically, but we kind of have like a dim light out yeah. here when things are kind of wrapping up. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, you know, Aubrey can't really get into things yet, but when she does. I mean, she already opens the pantry, so I mean, we're already, we're, we're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> homegirl when she wants a snack. But yeah, so just, yeah, to kind of wrap things up, just... Like I said, it's the differences that kind of bring us together and make us one. And, you know, especially being in a marriage, again, with a black woman and a white man, mm -hmm. we're, you know, coming across things every day that we're just like, wow, you know, we really came up differently. But then again, we bring those differences together and we apply them both with our daughter. So that's just kind of where I'll leave that. Because, you know, sometimes everything's not black and white when you're putting together different cultures. It's kind of like a beautiful gray mosh pit. You know what, that, that's a great way to start wrapping up this episode. You know, I mean, obviously we've highlighted, there's a lot of differences between our upbringings and our cultures. And I mean, I think that this is a topic that we could even talk more about. We could mm -hmm. spend so much more time talking about very specific details. You know, even the fact that, you know, the way you talk to your family is different than the way that you talk to me or mm -hmm. talk to Aubrey or talk to my family. But there's also some striking similarities. Even though we came up from completely different backgrounds, both of our families ate dinner late, like literally yeah. every night. So that <laughs> there's no adjustment when we came together. We still eat dinner late. Our average time eating dinner is like eight o'clock. Yeah. Which is very late for but a lot of people. We got a toddler, so the way she set that up is, yeah, we, we eat dinner when she's down. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I think the earliest dinner we have, I mean, might sound bad to some people, but it's probably like seven. Probably. It's probably like the earliest dinner we typically have. And that's generally when she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Because at seven, she's usually eating. Yeah. It, but, you know, we also grew up with the same video games, same mm -hmm. video game consoles. So, you know, we got to relate on that front or, you know, we like a lot of the same, you know, movies, pop culture, stuff like that. But it, it really is interesting to, like, just see the differences and things like that. One other thing I could even mention is just how, you know, you mentioned that every black household grew up with the same blanket and you showed me the blanket and I literally had never seen it in oh, my life. Oh, yes. Like, I don't, I had no idea what you were talking about. The blanket that is what, like, what, black and green and, like, maroon. It has, like, the gold <laughs> outline diamonds. The black people know what I'm, exactly what I'm talking about. I bet it's at your grandma's house. We all grew up with that blanket. Where it came from, I don't know, but we all have it. It was almost like a birthright. <laughs> almost. My mom still has the blanket at her house. Jeez, yeah. So, you know, big cultural differences as we've stated, but you know, it's, it's beautiful. You know, we've, we've really come together and to wrap up, you know, the desert is all I've known. You know, you, you've had a transition in your life from you know, lush green highways, different looking houses all throughout the city to what I've known my whole life. Yeah, saguaros. Tumbleweeds. Prickly pears. Prickly pears. Haboobs. Look that up. Haboobs, yes. They are not called dust storms. They are called haboobs when they get you know, really massive and engulf literally an entire city. Yeah. Wind and dust is very prevalent here. You know, do not catch valley fever. Um, you know, yeah. really, you know, if you're, if you're new here, you know, you'll, you don't want to just stand outside when there's dust. There is a monsoon that happens every year. It's pretty disappointing, but there's at least one or two nice rains throughout the year, I would say, that make up for it a little bit. But, you know, I mean, even just in conclusion, you know, one last thing I can note is that, you know, I literally traveled to the East Coast for the first time in my life two years ago <laughs> and just completely mind blown by all the green and just the way that the cities were laid out differently in the neighborhoods and the yards were just gigantic and there's no fences. And, you know, I grew up and I'm like, literally, if your house does not have a fence in the backyard, then, you know, you're not living in a house, you're living in a shack. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just a completely different vibe out here in Phoenix, Arizona, where, you know, you know, our highways, again, intersections are controlled, no traffic lights, there's fences at every house, there's strict HOA standards and really the reason that is here is because you know Phoenix built up so much later mm -hmm. than the Midwest and the East Coast so you know by the time Phoenix was just getting started we had all these strict standards implemented to try and control the look of certain you know parts of the city and you know the flow of traffic and property standards things like that and I, I feel like whereas the East Coast and the Midwest was more organic, you know, it grew from literally hundreds of years ago from the foundation of America. Mm. And you know, obviously today is very different. I think that's where we will leave off. So, yeah. but stay tuned. You know, there's a very good chance that we could revisit Black and White on a future episode and talk about other aspects of, you know, cultural differences, similarities and uh, other issues that we can try to tackle as a family. Yes, exactly. It was very nice steeping with you guys today. That is a great pun. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening again. Uh, stay tuned and make sure to grab yourself an ice cold sip when it's all said and done. Thanks for listening about Black and White. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed ice cold content.
As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened. <laughs>